You're listening to Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast, dedicated to exploring the full potential of human physiology and mind with focus on ancient and modern techniques of self-development. Spend some time with Dr. Nader, who is leading the way in the science of consciousness and begin your journey to better understanding the relationship of mind and body, consciousness and physiology right now. Ayurveda, the traditional Indian system of natural healthcare, continues to gain a worldwide upsurge of scientific, medical, and popular interest. Dr. Tony Nader, MD, PhD, an MIT and Harvard-trained neuroscientist and patron of the International Maharishi Ayurveda Foundation, met with medical doctors from 15 countries on five continents to discuss the impact of Ayurveda on heart health, arthritis, hormone balance, aging, and other chronic disorders. The three-day conference, hosted in Leiden, Netherlands, focused on the prevention of disease through this natural method of healthcare. Honored guests, ladies and gentlemen, it's a great joy to be with you this morning and to share a few thoughts about knowledge and its importance in the development of a better society, a removal of disease and problems, and actually including ultimately peace and happiness and lack of conflict, which are also a disease on a social level. I'd like first to thank India, the land of the Veda, the land of knowledge, for the ocean of knowledge that it has. And I'd like to especially also thank the Netherlands for its ability to absorb any ocean and integrate it. And in this case, we have been in this land for many, many years. My teacher, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, used to call the Netherlands the land of wholeness, or Holland, Holland, the land of wholeness. And he really enjoyed and was welcome in this land. And now this land also more and more is welcoming uh, the knowledge that Maharishi has brought to the world, which is a vast knowledge that he used to say in repeated ways that it's a science, and as a science, it's true for all mankind. And one statement he used to say and use is that it's not because Newton discovered the laws of motion and gravity and all of that, that the law of motion and gravity becomes an English aspect of reality. And in the same way, it is not because this knowledge has come from the great land of India and great scientists of ancient times, that it is Indian uh, alone, that it is important or has an impact on only Indian culture. What we are talking about is knowledge and science and understanding of natural law and how it applies to all aspects of life, individual and collective. We talk a lot about specific medical approaches in healthcare, and that's very important as someone who has spent a great part of his life, myself, in the study of molecules and how they impact health going to the point of knowing why, you know, how we hear, how we understand things, how we see, what molecules, what chemistry, what electricity in the brain creates different moods or creates different reactions. And working on the molecular level, 
I came to a big realization as I was more and more trained in the aspects of life which are less palpable than you know, gross material values, and these are aspects of the mind and consciousness. Without putting down the value of medical procedures, which are extremely important, and by the way, Marshi, uh, who is my teacher from this knowledge, from the Vedic tradition, emphasized that Ayurveda is all science of life, which means it also includes new discoveries, new methods, and its scope spans all of this and understands the relationship between the individual, the society, the different parts of the time of the day, of the season, the different aspects of food and diet and the complex realities, including mind, thinking, behavior in the field of treatment. When I was at MIT, we had, uh, I was still a student, there was a big project in which I partially participated. It was at the early 80s, the study of Alzheimer's disease, which was coming to be a big issue and a big question in science. It was still unknown. My department, which is Department of Brain and Cognitive Science, deals with the brain and therefore cognition also, which is the ability to see, to hear, to understand, to memorize, to all of these values, was specialized also in neurotransmitters, which means what chemicals in the brain influence uh, what aspects of behavior and thinking and, and feeling, etc. And so a big, huge budget was given to us to study Alzheimer's disease from the perspective of these chemicals. So we devised a study with five groups, four of which received uh, enhancers of neurotransmitters, such as serotonin, dopamine, epinephrine, norepinephrine, acetylcholine. And one of them, of course, as is required, was a placebo, because we wanted to know what effect has what. Now, in a very good scientific study, you have what we call double-blind setup, which means neither the doctor knows what the patient is receiving, nor the patient knows what he or she is receiving, so that we have no kind of prejudice for one treatment versus another. Neither the doctor is prejudiced, nor the patient is prejudiced. So we ran the study for about a year or so, with all these five groups. And there is some ethical aspect in medicine, which is if you find that one group is improving more than others, you cannot stop, you cannot continue your study just because it's a study. You have to stop the study, open the labels, and know which group has the best results so that you can give it to the others. We're not playing with patients. We want to cure them. We want to improve their situation. So we stopped the study because there was one group that was literally much better than the other groups. And it turned out to be the placebo group. And, of course, this study wasn't published because it's a placebo effect and, therefore, it is not an effect. And I was wondering, <laughs> you know, how does this work? What is happening here? And when we take this to its ultimate reality, we realize that life and living and health have so many aspects related to our mental uh, behavior, mental thinking, mental attitudes, etc. 
Just think of the day when you wake up and you're not well rested. You're tired, you haven't slept well, everything bothers you, you're upset, you make wrong decisions, you can get into an accident, and you don't, you know, eat the right things, you just eat the wrong things, and do all kinds of things. Now, all of this is a result of a mental situation on the level of awareness, on the level of consciousness. Can you solve all of this just by one little targeted drug? It's almost impossible, actually, it is impossible. Because a human being is much more than a few molecules and electrical activities. Now, having said this, I want to still say medicines are important, we have to take our medicines, we have to follow the procedures, there are so many aspects of treatment that are very important and necessary. But we should never ignore the fundamental aspect, which is awareness and consciousness. In poor awareness, drowsy awareness, people make mistakes, they eat the wrong things, they forget their medicines even, they forgot to behave in a proper way, and they get into big trouble. So, whereas in Ayurveda, we support all approaches, which includes, of course, medicines, treatments, even diagnostic procedures, modern procedures, surgery when is needed, and also aspects of diet and daily living, which are also very important and often ignored, and I refer to our great Trigunaji. His father was one of the greatest Ayurvedic doctors of India, and he's following in his path also. He used to say one very big aspect of Ayurveda is that it is kitchen medicine, which means how to use actually food and diet and daily routine, how the mother at home can cure disease and prevent disease. And this other aspect, when we talk about medical costs, etc., is that we emphasize much more than we should, in fact, cure versus prevention. So, prevention is a very important aspect of treatment, of health, of wholeness. And that has to be emphasized, and that is what Ayurveda emphasizes, because it looks at the processes that are happening in the physiology, not only on a molecular level, but on a holistic level, and ensures that the individual, individual physiology, which means every one of us is different, and therefore everyone will react differently to a heat wave, to a cold day, to some foods that are cooling versus heating, etc. And therefore our diets, which today we know there is all kinds of fats that come in it. You know, someday you hear fat is a horrible thing. You should never eat fat. And for years people just don't eat fat. And suddenly we are hearing, no, no, it's not fat that's the culprit. It's sugar. You should absolutely stop eating sugar and everybody stops eating sugar. And you take all kinds of amounts of this versus that. And that is across the board. So we have a science from Ayurveda that actually highlights individual body types and how these, every individual in different seasons, in different times of the day, have things that are more appropriate for them in terms of what diet to eat in a balanced way and different tastes, different rasas, different aspects of the diet. 
So there is this very, very rich knowledge and very important knowledge that can sound very basic on some level, but which is very profound to deal with all of these aspects. And coming back to consciousness, it's not something that is dealt with on the surface level, like good ideas or, you know, talking to the person, calming them, which is, you know, in the field of psychology and psychiatry, which is also very nice and necessary, or even, you know, uh, trying to modify the mood by putting your attention here, putting your attention there, which are also important and necessary. But I discovered there is a science of consciousness and that Veda is actually ultimately a science of consciousness, a science of knowledge, a science of behavior, as His Excellency said, Veda means science, it means knowledge. And this term has come into Latin also, you know, Vedi, to know, to see, voir in French and in all different languages. So this Sanskrit term has come to us. And there is a science of consciousness. And the science of consciousness is also having a technology of consciousness, which are techniques and ways that one can improve one's awareness, one's level of awareness. Not only to remove stress, which is very important, because mind and body are intimately related. When the mind settles down, the body settles down. We know this uh, through scientific studies. So if we can settle the mind down, we can settle the body. And what does the body do? It has mechanism within it to adjust itself. When you cut yourself, your finger, you know, what do you do? You just, of course, heal it, clean it up. But who makes the work? It's the body that comes and rebuilds it and takes care of it. On the same level, stresses are things that are very deep in our brain. They are molecules, electrical activity that are ingrained in our nervous system physically. And the body is capable of removing them. We know this. When we sleep, the next morning we can run more. If you run, after a while you have to sit. So rest is very important for dynamic activity. The deep-rooted tiredness, which we call stress, that gets in our nervous system prevents us from functioning properly. What do we do? The sleep of the night is not enough to remove it because it doesn't give enough rest. There are technologies from the Veda, from Ayurveda, from the ancient techniques, such as and that's the one that is most researched scientifically, Transcendental Meditation, it's a big name, sometimes difficult to pronounce it, but it is a simple technique. You sit in the chair, you close the eyes, and you allow the mind to settle down in a very technical way. It's a technique. It's not a philosophy, it's not a way of living, it's not a belief system, and that is why Veda is a science. Veda is a science, it's not a belief system. It has become and used to become a belief system in many ways. But I want to reassure anyone in our audience that nobody has to leave their belief systems, nobody has to change their, their ways of life, nobody has to uh, do things. Of course, the ways of life will change naturally when one is more alert, more rested. Just techniques, there are techniques of awareness, techniques of consciousness that develop the awareness that gives you such clarity of thinking and at the same time gives such a deep rest to the physiology that it itself removes these stresses that have been 
imprinted on our nervous system in an automatic way, in the same way as you heal your finger, it heals itself. The body, the brain can heal itself if you give it a chance. And that is why part of the routine that one, everyone should have in their life, the same as you wake up and you take a shower and you have a breakfast and all of that, the same as you have to sleep and you have to sleep soundly, one has to know how to go deep into the self, discover oneself, and gain all these benefits which are from the physical level being studied in more than 600 scientific research studies conducted in all over the world that show the powerful beneficial effects of this technology on disease, on asthma, on anxiety, on blood pressure, you know, insurance companies are offering these techniques for their uh, people and they give discounts if you practice these techniques. So it is really a joy to see that this is coming now to the mainstream, that we realize we have to have a complete approach to health, which includes everything from mind, body, consciousness, behavior, and particularly, of course, also different approaches of using herbs and medicines and diets and integrate that so that we can truly solve the problems of health that we have in the world today. And I emphasize consciousness because this is usually something that's left, uh, you know, it's like, oh, it's some kind of a belief on a level of thinking, on the level of something vague. What is consciousness after all, you know? What is consciousness is the only thing we are sure about. Without consciousness, you cannot dream, you cannot think, you cannot love, you cannot feel, you cannot interact. If you don't have consciousness, you have nothing. It's our life. One thing we are sure about is consciousness. Everything else is changing. And if there is a technology to develop consciousness, and if it has been proven that it can truly produce a more healthy individual and a more healthy society, then it's really a joy to see that now on the top level of responsibility from great leaders of the world, Minister of Health, ambassadors, leaders in the parliament in Europe and, and everywhere, are looking seriously at these phenomena and somehow we have all been forced to come almost into it by the fact that nature is telling us the way we are going is not going to lead much farther because we can't absorb anymore the costs and we don't want to see the suffering anywhere. I really congratulate His Excellency, the great ambassador of India, for inviting His Excellency, the Minister of Health, and all of us, all those who participated, for their true, really true desire to bring what they know to the world so that the world can benefit from this tremendous knowledge on a scientific level. It's not a missionary zeal, it's an actual devoted desire to bring health and wholeness to society and create a disease-free society. Thank you and congratulations. Thank you for tuning into Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast. And if you're interested in learning more from Dr. Nader, please follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.